It's about that time. Let's go. Uh, uh. Welcome to the clubhouse. This is Vela's Weekly Digest. Every Wednesday, make sure that the time's set. Everything blockchain news on the day to day. Vela's here to tell you, surely take it away. And welcome back to our weekly Clubhouse stream. I am Sirli Valga, CEO at Velas, and on behalf of our team, welcome to the Velas Weekly Blockchain Digest. As always, I am joined by my co-host Delphine Forma, Chief Compliance Officer at DAL, board member of the OpenVASP Association, and a prominent voice in the global blockchain ecosystem. Thank you for joining, Delphine. And our guest tonight is Marcos Benitez Rubianes. Client, uh, client Relationship Manager, Crypto and Blockchain Services in Gazprom Bank. And he is also the General Secretary at the Crypto World Zug Association. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Shirley and Delphine, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. I hope I pronounced your name correct. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was quite good, I have to say. <gasps> All right. Um, so if you didn't tune in to our weekly stream last Wednesday, here's a little recap. Our CMO, Kalani Mo, um, who's joined by us today as well, um, hosted two great projects uh, who are building on the Velas protocol. One of them is Cook.Finance. Um, they're redefining the asset management industry with the use of DeFi. And to learn more about Cook.Finance and other projects building on Velas, check out their stream and YouTube channel or visit our website, velas.com. We welcome uh, more projects to build on our chain and are ready to provide a host of support services. Now, on to our Bitcoin price discussion. Last week, Bitcoin kept trying to cross over the 60k resistance. Come to think of it, Bitcoin was at 20k just five months ago in November 2020. So I do wonder where will we be? Uh, where will we be by the end of this year? And it has become kind of a weekly tradition with our guests to share their price uh, prognosis on Bitcoin. So Marcus, what is your prognosis? And also, I wonder if there has been a tremendous growth in client onboarding these past months at Gazprom Bank, and especially when it comes to those interested having exposure in Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, personally, I would say well. Um, I mean, for the bank side, we don't do advisory on pricing and so on. So this is going to be just my personal opinion. So no financial advice, do your own research and, you know, all Very the disclaimers. <laughs> yeah, but, um, well, I, I think that this year we could see 100K uh, potentially. I think it's possible. Uh, we are seeing now some resistance on the 60K area uh there is a lot of demand on the on the 45 to 50 still um uh, and and well we have seen as you know a lot of uh, institutional demand uh big corporate clients i mean we can talk about tesla i was talking about this topic on on a feature article in coin telegraph uh mm -hmm. when after uh, tesla announced the, the the purchase they made it public and also from bank of new york Mellon that they are also jumping into into the sector so i think it's just positive news uh we see that any fat or fear uh, that comes from for example from what happened the other week with india apparently banning again once more i think this is short leaf and this shows the the strength of the of the of the demand um regarding the bank yes i of course we see a lot of a lot of new demand and stronger than before 
uh, as you may know, we, we got the license to offer uh, um, Bitcoin bank accounts. Um, this was uh, allowed in back in October, end of October last year. And of course, this also was a very good timing because, yeah, uh, as we know, since since December, the spy has been tremendous. And, and this uh, this is uh, yeah goes hand by hand. And definitely we see a, a much higher demand. And yeah, we cannot cope internally with the with the demand, you know, it's uh, yeah, you know, you have to you have to onboard clients, and this takes takes some time. And 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 but we are in this position that we have more demand than what we can we can process currently. So so are you hiring? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, probably pretty soon. Yes. All right, that's good to know. Um, Delphine, you have a news. Yeah, I mean, like Alonso's line, you know, is uh, institutional adoption. I'm excited to see that um, Morgan Stanley uh, is offering you know, a crypto unramp for its very wealthy client. So uh, based on a fresh inter via an internal memo as reported by CNBC, Morgan Stanley will give clients access to Bitcoin investing through but under certain conditions. So apparently participants in Morgan Stanley Wealth Management Wing uh, will be able to access Bitcoin through a Galaxy Digital Bitcoin Fund and Institutional Bitcoin Fund LP, as well as FS Investment uh, and uh, NYDIG Select Fund. And also allocation is capped to only 2.5% of each client's overall wealth. So it's interesting, you know, to see like those big banks like getting in, trying to get the clients, you know, providing them services for crypto and, you know, like trying to make them comfortable with um, playing with cryptos and maybe they will go towards DeFi, right? Marcos, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, the, you, you have touched a, a very fun topic for me, for myself personally. I, I've been in the doing my, my own, uh, um, let's say, Playground in DeFi since since uh, summer last year uh, uh, with with Ethereum and now we have seen a tremendous growth in in this space. I mean, it continues growing and I think it's a natural, um, yeah, natural growth of the whole crypto ecosystem uh, when we see that you don't need actually any intermediary to to even invest and to get even passive income. And I think this is a big topic because. As we all know, the banking sector in general and the and the yield are uh, in Europe are negative and also in Swiss francs. So of course, uh, people start to look for for better better options uh, without without uh, facing a lot of risk. So uh, I see that um, I, I don't see yet the demand from the from the let's say the institutional side or the corporate side, but for sure. For, for uh, wealthy individuals and, and investors that are a little bit more savvy into this topic, they are they start to play more and more with this. And it looks like uh, Morgan Stanley uh, won't stop there. So according to Korean media, Morgan Stanley is rumored to be negotiating the acquisition of a significant share in leading Korean cryptocurrency exchange BitHump. And reportedly they are in discussions with major BitHump shareholder Bident, who owns roughly 10% stake in Bitham Korea. And according to news, Morgan Stanley is planning to invest between 300 and 500 billion Korean won, which equals to 254 uh, million to 441 million dollars. Um, 
uh, worth of investment. So the report cited an anonymous senior BitHub representative as stating Morgan Stanley participated in the acquisition of BitHub. So what's your guess, guys? Who's next? Kraken and Goldman Sachs or, or any other guess? Well, you know, I think uh, Kraken is uh, on the go, is eyeing uh, an IPO. Um, Contelegraph actually recently reported that uh, Kraken has not yet confirmed the news, uh, but it looks like they are going to follow the step, the step of Coinbase. Um, and Kraken hasn't said yes or no, but it's like a big rumor on the, on the market, right? Uh, and basically, uh, they said that it would, if they go towards that direction, they would go through a direct listing uh, in the US. We also have Coinbase that is going there. Uh, they were supposed to uh, do their IP, their IPO this month, but uh, apparently has been postponed to next month. And I think to another news with Coinbase that uh, apparently uh, the Commodity Future Trading Commission announced a settlement recently with Coinbase over charges that uh, the company inaccurately reported trading data on Bitcoin and that an employee self-traded to create an illusion of volume and demand on Litecoin, which is called wash trading, which has been quite a little bit of a problem in the industry. You know, it's made a lot of noise uh, last year uh, with exchanges trying to fake their volume uh, on that. So. Let's see what's going to, what is going to happen with Coinbase, Marcos. What do you think? Well, I think Coinbase is a, is a very big name, and they have uh, yeah. We, we may see some uh, records there on the valuation, and well, as you know, this this follows I think the uh, the yeah the Silicon Valley scheme. So we may see this uh, starting to to be a trend also for crypto. I mean, uh, let's be honest. Uh, uh, we we went from e-commerce and digitization, and now we have another another big industry that is still still uh, young and nascent. So I think yeah, we will see other follow suit. Uh, Coinbase may be the first, but then we will see. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really surprised about this news about Morgan Stanley. Uh, that's that's something completely new to me, uh, and I know that the Korean space is uh, is gonna get uh, quite off because of the new regulations and all the the. Yeah, the limitation that the regulator wants to put there. So apparently, you will have to be a, a bank if you or or close to if you want to offer crypto to your clients. And of course, it's a I think acquisitions M and A's is is going to be uh, all over the place for the next next years. Thank you, Marco. Uh, meanwhile, we have yeah. yeah sorry, no, uh, Yeah, thank you for this insights. Uh, in the meanwhile, we have someone from the audience who wanted to weigh in. Crypto uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hi, this is uh, CryptoVader. I'm actually based in Switzerland. Uh, it's, it's interesting uh, to hear from you and from Marcos what's happening. Uh, what what I was actually wondering is that in Switzerland, there were some two uh, companies that were actually given banking license uh, to, to manage crypto assets. There's a third company which withdrew its banking license, uh, Bitcoin Swiss. Uh, but some of the companies outside of the ones in U.S. just haven't got the scale or size to try and do what Kraken has done, what Coinbase has done, what BitMEX has done, and of course, what Binance hasn't done. And I was wondering if uh, this could actually be a lesson that phase one is over, where uh, exchanges are already well settled. But do we see that from an asset management perspective, it could be an open opportunity for some of the bankers here in Europe 
to start looking at that world because it, I see that part of the world still quite wide open. Marcus, what is your guess as you are in the banking? Yeah, that's a very, 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 very good uh, question. And uh, been been inside this uh, this uh, industry since 2017, and having advised uh, both fintech and and other type of companies. And now uh, with Gazprom Bank, of course, we we see this uh, the competitive advantage that fintech has, and and of course, it's a different world when you are not regulated as heavily regulated as a bank. So, of course, I think they have an upper hand. Uh, what I, my assumption is that, of course, banks uh, start to see this, this opportunity. And, uh, yeah, what, what's going to happen with Morgan Stanley and Bitham just shows you uh, what may be the, the, the move, the strategical move from many banks. So they will just acquire these, these exchanges and this company. Uh, from the asset man management part, I think we, are, we still need to see uh, further development and uh, like uh, filling the gap between between institutional and, and other type of trading. Uh, because yeah, it's not the same to have an app and being able to, to manage your own account and trade back and forth or in Binance and then for, uh, yeah, for, for more regulated uh, type of, of asset managers. Yeah. Thanks, Marcus. Really, really good explanation uh, from, from that. What I was wondering is if it might be time for us to start doing ETFs in Europe um, on uh, cryptocurrencies, because some of the digital assets are really now have proven themselves. They, they do not need to prove themselves over and over again. And for discerning customers, it might actually be a good idea to start doing ETFs, because not everyone would like to just invest into Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're close to about 50 other currencies. Some of them would really become very big in the next five to ten years so i think etfs is going to be a good option and that if we can start setting up those kind of uh, modes for uh, here in europe it might actually be an interesting thing because while etfs are still trying to get traction in the u.s um they're still trying they're about i think at the last count close to about 10 companies which are trying to apply to to have etfs in u.s haven't got that Canada has approved uh, two of them. We all know that they are doing quite well. I think it might be a good idea to start doing that here yeah. in uh, Europe. Yeah, well, uh, actually, we, we have here in, in Switzerland, as you, you may know, 21 shares uh, with the offering of the, well, ETP, which is, uh, um, yeah, it's not exactly the same as uh, ETF, but still feels, feels that, uh, that demand. Uh, yeah, I would like to to see more incumbent companies and, and providers start digging into this market. Uh, but I think it's a natural natural next step. And as you uh, very well inform on this, as you know, we are in the US it has not yet been approved. So that would be, uh, I think, a massive step forward. But then you have also other providers. Um, yeah, there is this. Uh, etc uh, in in the german stock exchange so and well the the numbers are increasing quite dramatically i mean the aum that they have so yeah it's, it's for sure a natural and i have received myself uh, a lot of calls from from different type of investors and asking of course uh, well is there a etf that i can i can buy because they don't want to get in all the hurdle of the custody and, and maybe having to 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 sign up for a for an exchange that they are not not used to. Uh, I think, Shelly, uh, Delphine, you were actually asking earlier if we would see more traction from the large banks. Marcos's uh, uh, 
point does raise a thing that it might not be the bulge bracket banks here in Europe who would be actually doing this. So I wouldn't see possibly the HSBC or Deutsche Bank or maybe even UBS to move into this space that quickly. Um, it would primarily be more like um, asset managers, the one that, that has been talked about and the ones that Marcus just talked about, 21 shares or so, who would start coming in um, and the big banks would kind of wait until they see the mood of the market, they see a little bit more clarity around regulatory environment before trying to get into this. But from a, from a retail perspective, I would actually recommend that, as people have been saying, to at least start testing waters, start understanding the market. I'm not saying you start putting money at least. You should if you can, uh, but at least from a testing perspective, understanding the market perspective, it's good that people start uh, doing their own research and analysis on some of the old coins that have come up. And uh, beyond uh, some of them, I actually like the way some of the gaming coins have come up, some of the NFT tokens have started to come up in this space. I think there is a lot of things, and I'm not just talking about the art part of it, but also things like Decentraland and the kind of projects that are coming up. There yeah. is a fair yeah. amount of new things that are coming up on this that people should start investigating and, and at least researching on. Yeah, I think it's not a secret anymore that all the big banks like UBS, Credit Suisse, they all have actually, in the uh, behind the curtains, they are researching it uh, on a daily basis. And it's just a matter of time until they start providing some kind of crypto services on the side of the traditional finance. Yeah, maybe an insider. Uh, <laughs> I think this didn't hit uh, inside Parade Platz yet, but... Uh... There was an opening for uh, UBS head of, um, let me remember, it was digital assets and tokenizations. So, oh, really? yeah, so that, yeah, that's happening. So that's yeah. already a good indication of, uh, yeah, of uh, how uh, the, the biggest banks start to, to really look into it. Yeah, and also from an insider point of view, uh, HSBC, they have been working with blockchain technology for a few years uh, on the trade finance side. So, uh, they are not looking, I don't know if they are looking at digital assets, but I know that they are actually looking at ways of improving their process with using blockchain technology. Yeah, and and what I see here, like, um, in, for example, in Estonia, there were just some new regulations in terms of uh, pension funds. And uh, starting from autumn, you can, through your normal bank, which provides you the pension fund, uh, you can start investing into crypto uh, ETFs and Bitcoin ETFs and so on. So it's also a step forward by normal traditional banking. That's very cool, Shirley. Maybe I should yeah. start I, I, I I should uh, <laughs> I, I thought if I should put it there, because I had like collected quite like 20 years or so in this bank there, my pension fund, but uh, I will I will have an option to take it out and invest it myself in a decentralized manner. So, well, I think that brings, that brings us to... Uh, um, an interesting, another interesting topic because we are being uh, bringing up the topic of regulation a few times already, but that has been something quite big. And I, I mean, I'm expressing my personal view. I'm not expressing the view of my companies. Legal disclaimer again. Uh, quite, uh, I think, quite damaging for the DeFi sector and the industry in general. So, 
CFATF, which is um, an international organization that sets uh, global standards in terms of on-time money laundering, terrorist financing, um, has issued a proposal for revised guidance for the risk-based approach for um, virtual asset service providers. So just for the little history, it started in June 2019. Uh, it gained famous at the time because the first guidance was saying, no crypto people, you're going to have to apply the travel rule. The travel rule is basically, for those who don't know, in the traditional sector, when you do a swift transfer, you have to transfer the information about originator and beneficiary of the transfer. So it started in June 2019. Of course, the Swiss regulator jumped in and was like, of course you have to apply that. How come you didn't know? We're like, okay, great news. We love it. This is quite bad. And then... Um, uh, on Friday night, uh, they uh, sent a revised version, it's 100 pages. Uh, it's quite uh, interesting to read, I would say. Um, but basically, they, what they do, I mean, like, I'm going to be a little bit positive because sometimes you need some positivity, right? And they give a lot of example of what is DeFi, what is in the scope of the guidance, what is possibly not, but basically, uh, they give a very uh, broad definition of what is a virtual asset service provider. It even includes, so there is a, a paragraph somewhere, uh, I think it's uh, number 57, where they said that uh, if you are a person conducting business development for a D app, you might qualify as a VAPS. Basically, it's like everything DeFi will qualify as a VASP, and what does that mean? It means that if you qualify as a VASP, you're going to have to register or license, and it means that you're going to have to apply the same compliance control that a bank is applying in terms of risk uh, regarding money laundering and risk financing. And it's just like a startup doesn't have the same means as a bank, and it's just really, really bad for the industry. I mean, this, I mean, like what they're asking there is killing, uh, uh, you know, any technological improvement. And also what you see in this guidance, like uh, several times they have said, as a risk mitigant measure, if you are a VASP, maybe you should just not do business with unhosted wallet providers. This is, I mean, like it goes like super crazy. So Marcos, what is your take on that? Well, yeah, as I was saying, I'm a, I'm a uh, personally a fan of, of DeFi and all the opportunities. And uh, as a background, I, I think what I fell in love from from blockchain technology was the possibility to to uh, to bring to life the financial inclusion. So I, I, I personally think that this would be very, very bad for the whole industry. Uh, of course, we have to see when the when the consultation comes to an end in April and see what is the reaction of, of other big players. As we know, there is, uh, yeah, we assume there is a lot of lobby behind, and there is a lot of uh, concern from from uh, incumbents that, yeah, they may lose uh, part of their business due to to the the, yeah, the uh, avoidance of having intermediaries. Uh, so we were uh, today earlier we were participating in a in a webinar about this topic, um, and it was very interesting to hear the the take from from uh, even former regulators and, and, and people who is very close to the regulators and their take was that yes it's quite um, it's quite a tough and restringent um, view that they are having on the topic and uh, I really wonder 
uh, was going to be yeah the, the the stance of Switzerland as a country because as we know in the in the review of 2019 uh, in the guidelines uh, Switzerland decided to go for the more stringent uh, take and even be more tougher than the than the FATF and this was regarding the uh, unhosted wallets so yeah I really look forward to see uh, to see the opinion of the of the experts in the industry. So Delphine, does it mean that non-custodian uh, decentralized wallets are also considered VASPs now? Yes, with this guidance. That's, that's it's crazy because this applies to everything. No, Shari, this, this guidance, if, it, if the thing is like it's a proposal, right? So it's not, um, it's, it's a proposal it's from, an, from, a, from an international organization. So the way it works, like right now it's a proposal. We have until April to say something. But last time it was the same. Industry contested the last guidance, was like, you're insane, crazy, that should not happen, give a lot of argument why, but they didn't give a damn shit, excuse my French, and they published it the way it was. So I suspect it's gonna be exactly the same as it is right now. So then when um, international organizations will say, okay, guys, here you go, deal with it. Uh, it has to be implemented in law by countries, right? So if a country doesn't translate this guidance in their law, as a VAS, you don't really have to comply with it. You have to comply to the law where in, where in the country in which you have your entity where you're operating, right? So it's, it's not a binding guidance, but basically if a country doesn't really apply the principle, they may end up in a, in a blacklist, then it makes your life uh, as an entity under this country a little bit more difficult. But yes, yeah, surely everyone is going to have to apply it. Even my company, I was having a chat with my boss today, I was like, I think we're going to have a very hard time if this is translated into law. Yeah. Let's register to Panama or something, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 actually, we were discussing that with Marcos. He was suggesting maybe we should go to Uruguay because he's from there, Marcos. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think if uh, if it's taken uh, even at uh, 75% of, of acceptance of what is being suggested in this guideline, we will see, uh, unfortunately, uh, a fork in the industry. So we will start to see, like, yeah, those those companies that follow and, and, and bags that will have to follow uh, the rule, of course, and then we will start to see more offshore-based um, type of industry, which is going to be more on the on the gray area, uh, and and probably and it's not only I, I don't take it as a, it's only because of of money laundering and, and crime that is behind. It's just because of also because of uh, privacy concerns, and also because it's uh, yeah. If you don't need to have an intermediate, what why would you just get rid of actually? the biggest advantage that blockchain has uh, on the financial sector, no? I mean, we have uh, found many, many, many ways to do business faster, more efficient, cheaper. Uh, well, let's put away the fees of Ethereum, but if, if not, we, are, we, we see all the benefits that it has. Um, so yeah, I think uh, we will see interesting uh, development. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, what other compliance news are there? So there was uh, some other interesting one. Uh, there is a report that, I mean, I just wanted to talk about it because I find the title funny. Um, it's called Bitcoin's Dirty Little Secrets. Um, and it's from uh, Bank of America. That everybody has a lot to say about Bitcoin, um, uh, such as there is no good reason to own it unless you see the price going up. 
and that obviously it's uh, it has a poor environmental record. So very like basic stuff they are saying. But on the other hand, you know, the bank is saying that they are intrigued by decentralized finance. And in this report, you can read that uh, they say that it is potentially more disruptive than Bitcoin. Uh, so the bank is seeing DeFi as a radical change to mainstream capital market. Uh, so I find that quite interesting, you know, uh, I actually see the point. I mean, I actually do agree with the point on DeFi, you know, uh, the point on Bitcoin when I disagree, but I actually really got DeFi. So I find, I found this news really interesting. That's a very surprising statement coming from such an institution. Yes, indeed. indeed I was really surprised by it. Um, it does show the amount of scare, uh, the fact that they think they're very scared about some of those things that they are not able to manage it because the whole banking environment is about managing risks and uh, with the current uh, technology i think it's more not just risk management it's lack of understanding of how it can be managed properly so some of the questions that were raised that that you cannot trace transactions we all know you can trace trace transactions very easily it's it's possibly one of the open most open ways of doing that uh, transactions are clearly visible from one wallet to another wallet it's it's clearly there even for ethereum transactions etherscan clearly tells that i think the challenge is that registration of wallets um, which we were talking about from a regulatory perspective would also sometimes might even get into gdpr issues and i think those are topics that that in europe we haven't started to think about that if you're supposed to do kyc am i register am i supposed to register only my wallet with you and what if i want to keep my own private wallet now do i have to disclose that to you even though it's my personal information because it's actually personally identifiable information um and if i do a banking transaction on that what would happen I know that for some of the clients here in Switzerland, the banks have actually said, you have transferred money to um, crypto exchanges uh, like uh, Bitcoin Swiss or some of the other ones like even Kraken. We need to see each and every transaction that you have done in those exchanges um, if you want to remain as our customer. So it's, it's from a compliance perspective, I think banks are a bit behind in this knowing fully well that if you know one wallet you can easily try to trace everything else but for them to understand and manage that is getting really hard yeah well i think it takes a lot of education and and yeah having participated in the in the setup of uh, of a department as crypto and blockchain in a in a bank in a traditional bank is yeah i i i have a lot of stories and it's really really interesting uh, i think yeah it's just about education uh, I think the, the general perception is that with crypto, you can launder money and you can commit a lot of crimes and, you know, and it's completely the opposite. It's like, it, you can put it this way, it's like having cash, like you, you can pass hand in hand, but with a, with a trackable device for each, each of the nodes. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, still mainstream knowledge is that this is not the case and we have seen it even on the SEC uh, um, proposals in the US now that Biden and since Biden took place, uh, took took seat in the in the Oval Office, um, and and this was a, a common a common understanding from and, and this was uh, I don't remember the name of the lady now, but uh, it doesn't come to my mind. But one of her previous 
uh, take on on crypto was yes, this is this technology is widely used for for financial crime and and uh, financing of terrorism. And I think this is uh, yeah, we have seen many many surveys and even uh, forensic data that comes uh, from from people who specialize in this field. And we know that it's not even five uh, percent and is even decreasing. Because as long as uh, blockchain analytics tools uh, become more and more popular among uh, compliance officers, then, of course, you can track every single transaction. And as you uh, correctly said, you can track it since even back to the, to, the, um, to the mission of the Genesis block. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I fully agree with both of your comments. And I do think, like, you know, I've been a compliance officer for a crypto exchange for more than three years. And, you know, as being, I had to do all that by myself and checking, you know, what our customers were doing. And see, you see, I mean, like, the, the number of suspicious transactions was very, very, very low. The only thing I would say is, like, maybe someone buying some drugs on the, on the, on the dark net. Oh, my God, this is so bad, right? I mean, like, you know, I think, like, um, even if you look, you know, at all the studies done by Interpol or Europol, the money lenders to crypto is so low compared to the money that is lenders through trade-based money laundering scheme or using cash. I mean, I mean, we are very, very far from that. Crypto isn't. I, I don't think criminals are like crypto saviness. I think they are getting there because there's quite a, uh, there was quite some interesting things going on. But I mean, like. No, I mean, like, it's very funny to see like the normal compliance officer being like, oh my God, crypto. And you're like, crypto is much better. We have so much more control uh, while using crypto than using cash. I mean, like, if I would be a compliance officer in a bank, I prefer to have a crypto business than a cash intensive business as a client. Because as a cash intensive business as a client, I'm worried like all those people dealing with metals and stuff like that, scrap metals. I mean, like, there's a lot of cash, it's very dodgy. I mean, it could be very dodgy from a compliance point of view. I'm a compliance officer, sometimes I'm a little bit, you know. Uh, I would much prefer to have crypto business, right? So, but that was not the only news we had from a regulatory point no. of view. <laughs> um, crypto Let's plans. talk about pans, like weekly pans. We have talked about Nigeria, India. Mm. So we, we have Morocco, this, we have Morocco this, mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, <laughs> this, this week. Uh, the crypto are no ban in Morocco, uh, but apparently peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platform, uh, local Bitcoin is reporting uh, that there has been a lot of trading on their peer-to-peer -peer platform. That's an interesting fact. And we have um, in Turkey, apparently there has been a lot of search on uh, Bitcoin. It has been raising a lot people are trying to find out how to get it and this is after uh president erdogan um also of the nation top central banker sent the local currencies uh, lira plunging into a uh, foreign exchange market and also uh i think on india there was something new uh by Trading of crypto is not forbidden. What is forbidden is bank dealing with crypto exchanges. So that was like a new something going on. And I think Shari, I think I sent something on India to this. <laughs> so, you know, we, we like following up in India, Nigeria. You know, there is always some new stuff going on with those countries <laughs> that change their mind all the time. So <laughs> and today's news about Russia to uh, start tracking Bitcoin oh, yeah. cash outs. So all the, all the Bitcoin to fiat sales will be 
tracked, tracked by the government. Yeah, and, and we also had uh, South Korea, as, uh, as Mark was mentioned, uh, you know, that uh, will require, I, I, I mean, uh, they had just passed a new regulation um, and it entered into force actually tomorrow. And the regulation is in line with what the FATF uh, guidance is about. So apparently OCAX is closing their operations there because, I mean, like, the cost of compliance, the cost to comply with those regulations for crypto startup or like, I mean, it's huge, right? OKX I mean, like, is huge. It's not even a startup yeah, but, and it's but an established company. Sh Shelly, do you want to know what is the size of the compliance department of a bank like HSBC in London? In London, they have 8,000 people total. The size, of, the size of the compliance department is more than 1,000 people. A thousand people doing compliance, right? So it, it's very heavy. That's insane. And you wouldn't even need to want to, to do it, right? Yeah, so they have to comply with the AML rules of what is the same AML rules for the banks. Exactly, Shari. This is mm -hmm. exactly that. I, I, I will make just uh, an addition to this uh, incendiary uh, comment. But yeah, isn't it funny that most of the countries that are so reluctant to crypto are the ones that have the biggest gap in wealth between their, their citizens. It seems like uh, someone said in one of these uh, Telegram groups, it said like India is very is very good at keeping their people poor. Yeah, makes sense. Um, do we have any questions or thoughts from the audience um, or questions to Marcos regarding maybe banking, crypto and banking, feel free to raise your hand or just any topic you want to share. Let's see. Don't be shy. If you have any question, we are very open to discuss yeah. any topic that you'd like to hear about. Well, while others are thinking about the questions, uh, I think, by and large, the adoption of crypto would actually, and um, to get this on mainstream, it's not that it's not mainstream. We all know that it's about uh, 1.7 trillion US dollars market. Uh, I think it's still the hesitation is because the viable use cases need to come out in a much more faster uh, way than what they have been. Uh, some of the use cases that Marcos has talked about, about getting the returns through DeFi, they are still quite niche. Yes, you can get decent returns if you know how to manage that. But um, I still believe that, by and large, most people are still afraid of trying to download a MetaMask and then connecting wallets from one to another and then trying to use them. And I think it's upon us to start educating people that this is going to be much more safer. If you start use, using them, it's, it's quite secure and educate them how to use it, how to manage the keys, create the right kind of security and environment around it, and primarily uh, reduce some of the frictional costs that are there. So for, for those of us who travel outside of our regular countries, uh, so let's say moving from Switzerland to Europe, Europe or Eurozone, you immediately incur into currency costs or fly to London, you have another currency transaction cost. All of those transaction costs can be minimized if we understand the right way of using crypto and transactions become a lot more faster. I guess those kind of use cases need to come up fast. So I'm looking at some of the disruptors like 
revolute to start doing that in a much better and organized way that retailers start accepting it, users start using it, and it's as easy as using an Apple Pay or a Google Pay transactions. That might actually help. And of course, then compliance regulatory requirements would also be easier to the point that Shirley said and Telvin was saying that if HSBC has that many number of people, it's it's actually a common thing for most of the banks now to have huge compliance departments. And uh, despite the number of compliance departments, the amount of fines HSBC have had to pay in the, la in the last few years, um, given the AML uh, issues that they've had, it's still phenomenal. So, so I think it's to say that crypto causes AML is, is quite wrong. Yeah, true. We have another uh, guest from the audience, Michael, who wanted to weigh in. Uh, hello, everybody. Hi. Uh, I'm Michael. Uh, I, I have a sort of compliance uh, question. Um, I, I bought some um, uh, cryptos uh, recently um, from a Swiss, uh, um, I believe they're Estonian, Swiss Borg, um, Swiss Estonian company. Um, and uh, after Swiss Borg. Swiss Borg, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, they're registered in Geneva or Lausanne. Yeah. No, but it's correct. They have the Estonian, the Estonian entity. The, oh, the yeah, license yeah, is under Estonia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, what I normally do with cryptos is once I buy them, they're at an address at the uh, particular exchange. Uh, this is the first time I used uh, Swissborg. Uh, my, my question, I don't know who can ask, maybe Delphine, um, is once I transfer the crypto from the exchange into my wallet, uh, is that part of the KYC? Does Swissborg keep track of that? And do they give that information? I don't know. Uh, to whom do they give it if they give it to anybody? <laughs> That's my question. Uh, okay, so, so ba uh, basically you uh, have an account with Swissborg and then you transfer your crypto to your private wallet, right? Uh, correct, yes. Okay, so the way normally it's, if they would follow uh, the Swiss regulations, they should have asked you, um, so your wallet address first, they should have asked you to which wallet address you're going to send your crypto, and they should have asked you to who the uh, address belong, and then you should have done possibly a microtransaction, so that you would have proved that you get the, you have the ownership uh, of the wallet. This is, or it should have been done. I don't know what, or what are the compliance procedures of Swissborg. But uh, yes, I would have kept this information, obviously, from uh, AML reason. And, you know, like um, AML regulation generally are, how can I say, not higher, but they are, if you have to wait in AML regulation and data privacy regulation, AML regulation, you can't escape. Uh, I mean, like, you have to, 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 to keep record of the data. And if the regulator come, you need to be able to show them that you have done your due diligence. They, sh they should be able to see everything. Well, Does that uh, reply the question, or am I uh, not replying? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it it answers the question. But okay. Ob obviously, uh, the, the it's on the blockchain. The the Swiss Borg address, and then uh, be a transfer to my uh, hard or cold wallet address that is on the blockchain. So the regulator can see that. And if they want to find out, they can go to Swissborg and find out, hey, who, who did that transaction? So yes, even right. if they if they don't ask me whether that is my wallet or not, I'll probably still be liable. Let's say um, 
for that money in case uh, it, it disappears from my wallet or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I think it's a very interesting question that Michael you've uh, raised because you're talking about a cold wallet and once the money is transferred from a specific exchange into a cold wallet, um, the exchange does have an information because you would have to whitelist an address from that exchange so that it transfers into the cold wallet. But beyond that, uh, from that cold wallet, if it is transferred somewhere else, um, I don't know if that still remains the responsibility of that organization, in this case, Swissboard. So, and that's possibly also a question that first level, first level transaction, yes. So they know that it has moved from address A to address B, which is also listed in their transaction because they clearly see that it's moved to a specific address. If they ask you to define the ownership of the address and you say it's my hard wallet, um, I'm not sure if they if you can prove that uh, in a in any other fashion. I'm not sure if that's possible. You can just write it to them. It's your hard wallet, and then they would have to ask you to send a screenshot, maybe of of the screen but, for ledger like, or something. But okay. <laughs> but beyond that, beyond that, if you're transferring from your let's say hard wallet to your friend's hard wallet, if that kind of a transaction happened at a peer to peer level, I don't know if. Uh, they can actually ask you to check that out because they themselves would not be even aware of that transaction unless no. they, at the end of every time, uh, they ask you for your uh, for your income for your for your balance sheet. So they actually ask you what kind of statement do you have at the end of the year to see all the transactions that have come in, gone out, and kind of then they have to virtually. The, the biggest challenge would be that they would have to do that with all the wallets in the world, and I don't think it's going to be that simple. Well, well, they can certainly see that it went from my wallet to a different wallet. Um, so that could be, in a, if that's in a different country, somebody else, they, they may not know who it is. And like you said, if it's done peer-to-peer, -peer, I'm, I'm not supposed to do KYC on whoever I'm transferring to because I'm not a bank. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, that... it gets more complicated, like you said, the second and third level transactions. From an institutional side, you you always have to distinguish between uh, who is your counterparty, uh, and I know Swiss work. Everyone, uh, yeah, believes it's Swiss because of course of the name. And the ICO was done in in 2017. Here it was quite popular, but they are based out of Estonia, and 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 yeah, it's a much let's say much friendlier jurisdiction towards uh, companies. Uh, if you are in Switzerland, if you have to, let's say, in the future, another bank open up a wallet for you and then you have a wallet, you will have to transfer um, the funds to your own wallet from, from uh, inside the bank from your um, unhosted wallet that belongs to you. And to prove that you are the owner, you then have to be savvy enough to sign the transaction with your private key. Uh, so this is a proof of ownership that uh, is becoming kind of like a standard. Uh, and then you have the Open Bus Association also working on a on a similar tool, and this is going to be the, the standard here in Switzerland. For other countries, it's going to be uh, probably different, but yeah, in the end, it may be that you will always have to to send the funds from from your own wallet. It is the same now. For example, if you have an account in Revolut and you want to send fiat, you have to send it from your from your own account. You cannot do third party transactions. I, I get it. But uh, if uh, I act as a consultant and, I don't know, um, create um, a token uh, for, for somebody, a crypto, an ERC-20 um, token, uh, and, and I run this 
platform for them. I run a note for them. Uh, obviously, that's um, that's a more complex thing. You you were talking about WASP crypto things, so um, I, I think I need to get legal advice on on. on <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's correct, and I think <laughs> no no one wants to make a yeah an open uh, consulting uh, or recommendation. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, fair you enough. you may contact uh, some of the panelists later. <laughs> okay. Thanks very yeah, much. We can, for... we can recommend you good lawyers on that on that field. Uh, Robert, yeah. hi. Yeah, hi. Um, basically, I was just uh, thinking the whole VASP thing and wanting to follow on from what Michael was saying. Uh, um, different example, but similar sort of thread. I guess a lot of people are using exchanges like Binance. And obviously, if you send from Binance, you send to your own hard wallet. Um, you're going to put in the wallet address, so yes, everything can be traced. But at what point then are we going to start having to identify these things? So living in Switzerland, as Marcus was saying, okay, maybe then I want to cash in some Bitcoin at some point. At that point, are we really going to need to have to somehow prove that we own the hard wallet and we own the Bitcoin on the hard wallet and how? Yeah, I mean, from interacting with uh, and directly with regulator and, 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 and compliance, and this was a, a big topic back in the days. Mm. Uh, and, and yes, uh, it's like uh, quite of understood that eventually this is going to be the way, and this is by the proof of ownership. So there are, uh, there are some tools even online that you just, uh, it's kind of, you connect similar to MetaMask, how it yeah. works, and then you're, you're showing that you are, behind the wallet of course uh, let's be honest it's very hard on a on a factual perspective to say yeah this i signed this but i can ask a friend to to sign the message and then he will be actually the owner of the mm. of the wallet so the only thing that you are showing is that yes this person is behind there is someone behind the wallet and we assume that this is the client uh but of course it's like it's non yeah i, I don't think people will start or or institution will start to ask you to come to come by by the office and sign the the message with you sitting on the on the room, uh, unless of course maybe when it's a really big transaction. But yeah, yeah um, the standard will be will be then to to be able to sign a, to to sign a, a, a encrypted message which you can only sign when you own the private key. Mm -hmm. That's crazy, isn't it? The whole pseudonymous thing is then basically going to just sort of. Yes, but disintegrate. If, yeah, if you want to interact with the with the mainstream financial system, yes, yeah. you will have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's okay moving around within the blockchain system. So moving around from wallet to wallet, it doesn't matter. But as soon as you do want to cash in that uh, pension policy, so to speak, then you're in trouble. <laughs> Well, you're not in trouble. You just have to play by the rules. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Gerard is, is, as I said before, I mean, like the direction that everything is taken right now is like really towards that, like where, you know, they're, they're really trying to get as much information as they can and copying what is happening in the banking sector. So that would be way less like pseudo-anonymity, which I think is a shame. But unfortunately, I am not the one drafting the rules, right? So... This will be quite a complex way of managing it, if I understand this, because if we can do wallet-to-wallet transactions, and as Robert said, if we save it in the blockchain, it's fine. It would actually be amazing that individuals can hunt for the right jurisdictions 
and then in cash fiat in the most friendly jurisdiction ever, <laughs> uh, which means that the local trans tax laws for almost all countries are just going to not work uh, because I can do transactions in the most friendly. And if there is a tax jurisdiction that says that there is no tax involved in any way that you're bringing in money, I could just have a simple wallet there. And having a wallet there doesn't even mean that I have to have a registered address there. It's just going to be changing the whole way we are doing business right now. I think it's going to be the same with, with everything. The more potential restrictions or regulations come in and the more or the tighter anti-money laundering stuff gets, the more ways people will phone around it. But at the end of the day, I think normal people like, like most of us um, who are just wanting to save some more for their retirement we're just going to say okay it's time to cash out fine i'll fill in my tax forms and that's it thank you for these thoughts um i guess that's it for today yeah thank you very much for the thought i mean uh, i think we'll be talking about it in our course area the exact same thing so very interesting talk Yes, it was very insightful. Thank you for joining us, Marcos. And um, for everybody, the bigger selection of in-depth blockchain news and regulation news and technology news uh, you will find on velas.com slash digest, which is conducted by our analysts. And also tune in every Wednesday at 6 p.m. CET for the weekly Velas blockchain digest here on Clubhouse. And we will have a new special guest next week. Should we already yes. disclose who it is? We are going to have Marcus Malfair, and he is uh, um, an investigator from uh, the cybersecurity unit of the Zurich Cantonal Police. So this is going to be a great talk. He's a great speaker. He's very knowledgeable about like cyber crime and crypto crime. So. Please come and attend this. This is going to be a great one, I'm sure. Wow. Yes, so thank, thank you, Sher. It's going to be very insightful. All right. Thank you, everyone. And my name is Sirli Valgen. And thank you for listening. And see you next Wednesday. Thank great. you, everyone. Ciao. It was a Thanks pleasure. So thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.